Welcome to the Bringing the Human Back to Human Resources podcast, the podcast all about the delicate balance between people and business, and quite literally, reconnecting the two. My name is Tracy Rubin, and I've spent nearly my entire professional career in HR. Join me as I share stories, opinions, and words of advice with you each week. Hi, everyone. Welcome back for another week of the podcast. This week, we're going to be talking about one-way video screening from both the employer's perspective and the employee's perspective or candidate perspective. And I'm going to talk about the benefits, but also the downsides to one-way video screening. So to start, I just want to remind everyone that you can follow me on Instagram at HRTracy. All of my links are in the show notes on YouTube and anywhere where you're consuming this podcast. So be sure to follow me, connect with me on LinkedIn, and connect with me on Clubhouse. It's always nice to connect with you outside of the podcast as well. So check it out there. If you are listening and you're hearing better audio quality and you're watching and you see that I finally have a mic in front of me, that is because I found a very cheap replacement mic while I'm waiting for my mic that broke to be replaced through the warranty. Like, thank goodness I have a good warranty. For now, this will work until I have the replacement. Thank you for being patient with me last week with the audio quality, but so far it seems like it was decent enough and tolerable. So thank you. In terms of one-way video screening, I just want to kind of set the stage for what one-way video screening is. So one-way video screening especially is known in the recruiter space, in the hiring space. And essentially, and actually some of you may have even used one-way video screening before as a candidate, not necessarily as an employer or hiring manager. And Basically, one-way video screening allows the employer to ask a series of standard questions to a candidate as part of the application process. And then from there, the candidate will submit their video and that will be part of the recruiting process and usually replaces the screening calls. So for example, if you're interested in a role and then you get a call from a recruiter saying, hey, I just want to check in and see your interest in the role. Tell me a little bit about your experience. And it's usually like a 15, 10 to 15 minute call. That is what one way video screening is essentially looking to replace. And there are a few um, companies that do this. Um, and I think at first I was a little skeptical to it for a few reasons that we'll get to at the end. Um, but now I, I can see the benefits as well as some of the downsides. So let's get right into it. There are first a few employer benefits that I want to cover to help better set the stage for what this process can do for an organization. So first and foremost, it streamlines the recruiting process, right? I mean, the recruiting process is something that can take a very long time. Um, you, you know, the longer that a job is open, the, the, the harder it is to fill the role, at least in my experience. And actually just even if the role is getting a lot of attention, it's extremely time consuming, extremely exhaustive to go through every single application, every single resume and decide, okay, who are we going to call back for an interview? Who are we going to screen? Um, and then, you know, who are we going to reject before even screening them? So super, super exhaustive process that this seeks to streamline and does a pretty good job of. Additionally, it understands or helps the hiring manager to understand the candidate's ability to grasp the tech, 
right? So, and actually, I think this is one of the hardest things to measure in an interview. Sure, if someone, you know, is doing a Zoom interview or a FaceTime interview, you hope that they know how to use those tools. But I would say that most people in the job market are going to know how to engage on those tech platforms, Zoom, Teams, FaceTime, whatever it is. But when it comes to video screening, there are a few more steps, a few more requirements like having headphones or having good video quality, for example, decent lighting, things like that, that may help hiring managers to understand or better understand the candidate's ability to use technology. And in this day and age, every single job is going to require some advanced knowledge of technology. And, you know, I think in the past, like people used to put on their resumes, advanced proficient at Microsoft Office. And now that is like a prerequisite. Employers expect you to know how to use those tools and applications. So having candidates leverage this technology can help um, provide a window into their ability to use tech or to be tech savvy ahead of hiring them. Thirdly, it validates who is really interested in the role. I will tell you, I have thought about, in, uh, you know, applying for certain roles in the past that had video screening and I didn't continue the application because I didn't, I wasn't super interested in the company. And so it kind of, what it does, it sets a barrier to entry. And so people who are really interested in the company and the role are going to continue with the process, whereas people who are not super interested in the role or the company will exit stage left, just like I did. And I don't know, that was probably like seven years ago. Uh, But it's actually really interesting to see how it might narrow the, the candidate pool and broaden the candidate pool in the same way. So maybe what it really does is it narrows the pool of people who are not so interested and it broadens the pool of people who are actually really interested and probably very qualified. And then finally, it allows employers to consistently um, ask interview questions. And when I say consistently, I mean ask the same interview questions. So if there are three questions that are part of the video screening, every single person who completes the video screening process as part of the application will answer all of those questions. So when it comes to an employer actually validating or evaluating the person's response, it'll be easy for them to not necessarily compare and contrast, but figure out which which answers interested them the most and gave the employer, the hiring manager, exactly what they were looking for. So as far as the candidate benefits go, and there are there are a few candidate benefits, and maybe one fewer than employer benefits, but there are candidate benefits. And the first, which is the same as the empl- the first employer benefit, is that it's a streamlined, quicker process for the candidate. And oftentimes we hear about recruiting processes, hiring processes being exhaustive and taking too long and that it actually deters candidates from continuing the process and continuing to express their interest in pursuing the role. To give you an example, in my own experience, I had interviewed for a role a number of years ago and I went through probably eight interviews. Eight. And they were all an hour long and they spanned the course of, I don't know, three or four weeks. And I even spent time in one of their locations because it was a retail type of um, opportunity and company. And then I'm like meeting 
people on the team and I'm like, okay, does this mean that I'm getting the job? Because now I want to make sure that I make a good impression with these people who potentially will be working with me. Um, And then I didn't get the job because they closed the job. And I was like, they had to have known that they were closing the job, right? But my point is that eight interviews is absolutely ludicrous to go through eight to nine hours of an interview process, like thinking about all of that time, not only for me as the candidate, but also for the people who are in the hiring position. I mean, that's like such a waste of time. It's crazy to me. Um, And so actually, when we think about the streamlined process for the candidate, this offers huge benefits. And I'm sure I'm not alone in that story that I shared. Um, It also allows the candidate to put their best foot forward. So naturally, there is going to be that fear of the camera, potentially, even though I think in this day and age, we're all used to like talking on Instagram or or Snapchat or TikTok or posting things. And maybe we're a little bit more comfortable than we would have been in the past with being in front of camera. Um, I do think that it gives the candidate the ability to really figure out how they want to present themselves and potentially record and re-record to get their best effort out there. And I think that's pretty interesting because you don't necessarily get that opportunity when you're meeting with someone in person or virtually. Once you meet with that person, that is your first impression. There are no redos most often. There's there's no way to to kind of rewind and and um, move forward, especially if the, the impression was not so great. So I think that if the candidate leverages this technology in a way that benefits them in the sense of putting their best foot forward, really like thinking about how they want to captivate their audience, then actually this could be a huge benefit. And then finally, it offers a lot of flexibility in scheduling. So if you think about, you know, maybe someone is looking to shift from night night work to day work and they typically work, you know, let's say, I don't know, overnight and they want to switch into a normal daytime schedule, interviewing for those positions could be really challenging. However, with this screening video or this one-way video screening option, it gives the candidate more flexibility in putting themselves out there and being noticed at a time that works for them, but doesn't necessarily put the emphasis on the employer to flex their schedules to work for the candidate. So I feel like it's a little bit symbiotic in that way that you're not worrying about the scheduling matching up and it's just like you're putting yourself out there, you're getting your your video screening at part of the application done, and then you hope that the employer likes what they see and hear and then calls you in for a regular, you know, interview with either the hiring manager or the next level um you know, recruiter. And in this case, I kind of see the one-way video screening as a as a tool for recruiters, not necessarily for hiring managers. So recruiters might be the first layer um, or barrier to entry for the candidates um, once the job is posted. And so it gives them the opportunity to screen from there and then pass on those top candidates to the hiring manager for those regular, normal, typical interviews. So naturally... With benefits, there are also downsides, and I think that there are a few downsides that need to be considered. Um, The first is that there's an inability to have human connection, and that is for the employer and the candidate. I see that as a downside. And I say this because I think one of the biggest things that a candidate takes away from these processes is a feel for the culture of the company and for what they potentially would be walking into. And so when we remove that first step of human connection, even if it is just a screening 
call or a screening interview, there are still missed, potentially missed opportunities for the candidate to get a feel for the company ahead of their first interview and potentially ahead of wasting time for the employer and themselves. Because if they don't like that first interaction, they're not going to be interested in the role. So now we're moving that first interaction to their first formal interview. And so I would imagine that it's maybe even a little bit more uh, detailed and focused on the minutiae because now the candidate is looking for that experience to understand that human experience to understand what the culture of the company is like. And I wonder if that potentially delays the process in its own way, because if the candidate is receiving multiple offers, then it potentially makes them think a little bit more critically around which offer they accept. And so how do they get a feel for that culture when you have one fewer step to experience what the culture and human interaction is like at the company. So I do think that's a significant downside. I also think it's a significant downside for the employer because not everyone is is strong in front of the camera. And so you could have a really strong candidate who opts in for this video screening, is really interested in the role, but doesn't captivate the audience well enough, doesn't get it right. Maybe the first impression isn't as strong as it would be if they were in person in a more formal setting. And that could be a huge downside for the employer too, because there's a missed opportunity potentially. And then I think the other downside, which is also significant, is that there's a probably the the biggest significant factor or downside here is that there's a potential for unconscious bias. And in hiring, we always focus on removing biases. We always want to make sure that when it comes to the interview process, that it's fair, it's consistent, it's equitable. And I could imagine that in some situations, there's potential for unconscious bias because the recruiter or the hiring manager who's reviewing these video screening um, submissions could then place judgment based on the way a person looks. Um, You know, do they like appear the way that they expect the person to appear? And so even if it doesn't come to that, there's still the potential for that. Um, There's, we, we, first of all, we know that there are people who take advantage of anonymity because of that anonymity in who is reviewing the video screening, let's say. So the candidate's putting themselves out there, right? And then there's anonymity around who is actually viewing their video could create a lot of fear around like, well, is the person going to judge me based on my weight, my color, my meaning race, my, um, my hairstyle, my nail polish color, my, my, like what I can afford to wear, like all of those things I can imagine could be a fear for the candidate and could potentially truly happen on the side of the employer. So there are some recommendations that I'm about to make as far as preventing those things from happening or at least setting up this one-way video screening option for good use that I think employers do need to consider if they are going to or want to put this in place. Like I was saying, if an employer wants to put this into use and institute a one-way video screen for, or one-way video screening for their hiring process, there are two recommendations that I would make that an employer consider um, putting into place ahead of putting one-way video screening into place. And the first is to have a DEI strategy and a commitment um, that's public before instituting this strategy. And I say this because of this unconscious bias potential. And so with a DEI strategy, 
and with a commitment, meaning like a, a statement around what the company believes from a DEI perspective. And a lot of employers put their DEI commitment statement on their websites or in the application process before submitting an application normally because they want candidates to know that that not only is their strategy committing to a diverse, equitable, and um, inclusive environment and culture and strategy and everything, but also so that the candidate is aware that there's actually a commitment by the company. And so putting um, the D, having a DEI strategy and putting the commitment statement um, in a place that's public will potentially reduce the stress or fear that a candidate will have when putting themselves out there. And I would hope that because of having a strategy and a commitment, that then the hiring manager is also actively removing their bias when reviewing these videos and re- reviewing applications. And I would think that if the strategy is strong, if the commitment is strong, and if DEI is really truly a part of the culture of the company, that those um, action steps are, are actively being taken. And then secondly, I think ensuring that the hiring managers are removing bias or their biases during this process is critical. And so I'm pulling that out from my last statement because there are a few things that hiring managers can do to remove their bias. And one of the things is to really challenge the way that they're evaluating candidates. So for example, if a hiring manager is going into an interview and uh, the candidate is speaking about something related to the role and they're not sharing their thoughts in a way that is polished. Well, what does polished mean, right? So actively questioning what those adjectives are. So employee or candidate is not polished and breaking out, okay, well, what does not polished mean? How does that impact their ability to do this job? And the same thing kind of goes with culture fit. And I think we talked about this on episode 18, where I met with um, Yeti and Christina to talk about wellness and DE&I, and that culture fit isn't necessarily a phrase that employers want to use, but rather it's values fit because culture is is created by everyone, but the values are what companies are looking to have a match with. And so when we say not a culture fit or not the right fit for the company, why? What does that mean? So challenging those statements and challenging that evaluation can help to remove bias and help the hiring manager to really critically think about um what they're taking away from an interview. And so I would think that if the DEI strategy and the removal of or working toward removing the um, unconscious bias from the process, I think those two together can help um, in making this one-way video screening option viable and successful. I do think that unless those things are in place, just before that strategy for one-way video screening is rolled out. I think that it could get messy. I think that it could be used ineffectively. And so my recommendation would be to really focus on the DEI strategy and the removal of unconscious bias in hiring. So let me know in the comments or in my DMs if you've ever participated in one-way video screening, what your thoughts are based on your use or participation in this type of strategy. And Let me know if you haven't used it and if this is something that you would feel would turn you away from the interview process or is something that you would kind of welcome and appreciate. I think that that's probably the hardest thing to measure at this point is if candidates are really interested in putting themselves out there in that way. 
at the same time, if every employer institutes this type of technology, candidates might not have an option but to adapt and change. So it'll be interesting if anyone um, shares some insights or experiences with me. I would love to uh, be able to report back on the next episode or future episodes. So as promised, I have um, a question to answer that one of you has submitted through my DMs, and it's kind of a follow-up to last week's episode around social media and work and how that all kind of ties together. Um, And the question was really about OnlyFans, actually, and how it relates to work and what our options are as employers when it comes to this. So the question was, what happens if you notice employees gossiping about another employee promoting their OnlyFans? To begin, OnlyFans, from what I understand, because I don't have an account, is that it's primarily used for sex work. Um, And I could be wrong in this, but my understanding is that it is um, a way for viewers to pay almost like an entrance fee to see a person's content. And I do know, based on my research, that there are other categories on OnlyFans, but that it's primarily used for sexual content, you know, physical content, like whatever. I don't really know what the formal term is, but that's my understanding. Um, So the first thing is that with employee gossiping, like that, first of all, has to get shut down, right? Like the step one we're not worrying about the the employee who's on OnlyFans. The first step is making sure that gossiping isn't happening in the workplace because not only does it contribute to a negative work environment, potentially a hostile work environment, potentially harassing work environment, um, but it, it's just like unkind, right? It, it's not nice. It's not professional. And so the first thing would be to shut down that gossip, that conversation, and to remind those individuals that um, they need to be professional and kind and that, you know, that it's not appropriate to talk about what someone else is doing um, in that way. And that if they have any concerns, they need to go to the manager and share those concerns in a way that's professional um, and kind to the other person. So the second thing here is related to the idea that this employee is promoting their OnlyFans account. And so that is sending a message that the employee is talking about the content that they're putting out on the website um, or the app. And so actually, I, I think because of the nature of the content on OnlyFans, this could also potentially create a negative work environment because there might be people who find that really uncomfortable or who are uncomfortable with the idea of someone promoting their content, period, but especially content that's on OnlyFans. And so I would actually say if you're a manager, you go to the employee and you talk through, you know, things that we want to talk about at work and things that we shouldn't be talking about at work. So speaking with the employee can allow us to really focus on the topic of remaining professional and also the, uh, focusing on the consideration for the other employees and that not everyone is comfortable talking about or hearing about another person's personal life or the content that they're putting out on social media. And that ultimately promotion of anything that is secondary to the workplace could really be a violation of policies. Some companies do have policies that are specific around solicitation, not necessarily only of employees, but also of other income streams. So um, I would recommend that the manager in this situation um, actually connect with that employee and remind them of the workplace that we're all committed to creating, which is positive, welcoming, 
um, and professional and that we're not saying that this person can or cannot entertain or, or create this content, but that talking about it in the workplace could potentially be the uh, devoid of the things that we're looking to do. Um, and so I would start there. This also could depend on the industry or the um, company or the organization. So for example, if it's a government entity, they might say, you can't have this OnlyFans account and work for us. Could it happen? Totally. Have I heard of it happening? Not yet. Um, but I, I do think that in this, knowing the industry that this person is in, it's not, it's not like that. Um, but I think that there is, um, there is an opportunity to kind of come back to or circle back to this professionalism and consideration for other employees and their levels of comfort. And really, this is why we want to keep things at work professional. Like, for sure, you're going to connect with your colleagues in a personal way. You're probably going to spend more time with your colleagues than you do people outside of work. And so it's unrealistic to say, don't talk about personal things at work. But it is totally realistic to say, there are certain topics that we want to stay away from because we don't know the other person's level of comfort. And so instead of talking about OnlyFans, talk about what you did over the weekend. I don't know. Talk about your dogs. Like talk about seeing your family members in a COVID safe way. I don't know. There are so many other things to talk about. That might not be the thing that we uh, spend our time on because it's just, to me, it's not worth making other people feel uncomfortable if if someone is, um, you know, a content creator on OnlyFans, because you just, you just never know people, everyone brings their own story. Everyone comes from a different set of values and you just, you never know. So I would just say, stay away from the sticky stuff at work and try to, uh, not create extra gray area because that's where things can get a little bit complicated and we want work to be fun and light, um, and enjoyable. And you just, you know, to me, I would say to the employee, especially if I'm close with them, it's not worth it to have to have this kind of conversation again. Like, let's just let's just keep that for outside of work. Either way, there are a couple of steps there. Shut down the gossip. And then second, connect with the employee and make sure that they understand, you know, where the line in the sand is around professionalism and how, you know, certain topics can make people feel uncomfortable potentially. Hopefully not, but it is always a possibility. Thank you so much for joining me for another week. And don't forget again to click the link tree in the show notes, or if you're on YouTube, the link tree is on my channel page as well as the show notes. Um, and don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you're on YouTube, give this video a thumbs up and I will see you next week.